Matthew chapter 8 is our passage for tonight. Matthew 8. This can be found on page 789 in your pew Bibles. We are in week three of our five-week series on faith and doubt, looking at five different passages in the Gospels where Jesus encounters somebody on the spectrum of faith and doubt. And as we said last week, there are a lot of ways to approach a series on faith and doubt. You could do it as an apologetic and do, here's a question and here's an answer and here's a question and here's another answer. That's what a lot of the books downstairs do if you're interested in that. But we said that the real question is what do you think about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Who is Jesus and what is your response to him? And so we're looking at these five passages. So tonight we look at Matthew 8, beginning to read at verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while well, the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. This is the word of the Lord. Scholars tell us that centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. They were the ones that the Roman army relied on to carry out discipline, to keep people in line. And as the name implies, they had up to 100 men working under them. Often the group was about 60 to 100. They were put everywhere, all over the empire. And it's probable that this centurion who walks up to Jesus was stationed in Capernaum. Capernaum was on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. It was on a trade route. So the Roman Empire would want to be very sure that it was getting the taxes from all the goods and services that were moving across that trade route. It would want to be sure that all the goods and services happening there were legal. It would want to be sure that there weren't any troublemakers who were coming into the empire, no rabble-rousers at all. And this is maybe how the centurion first found out about Jesus, because he was a bit of a rabble-rouser. He was rousing rabble. Centurion heard about him, and because it was his region, he had to assess the threat. Who was this guy? Is this guy a troublemaker? What is he up to? He hears that all these people are coming from all over, from Judea, from the Decapolis, from beyond the Jordan. They're all coming together to see this guy. So maybe he saw him too. Maybe he would watch the people walk to Jesus or be carried to Jesus, stooped over coughing, blind, deaf, paralyzed, 
possessed by demons, sick. And he would watch them come back from Jesus, upright, strong, healthy, bright-eyed. So he knew that this Jesus wasn't a troublemaker, but he knew that he was something. So his beloved servant falls ill. Centurions weren't allowed to marry until they retired, but they had groups of servants that would go with them from post to post. And so it's, it's probable that the servant who's fallen sick is, is like a friend to him, like a family member. It's someone that he's relied on, someone in his inner circle. And when this servant falls ill, he knows there's only one person he's going to bring him to. So he goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is paralyzed and is in great distress. He's lying at home. And did you notice in the text that he never asks Jesus for help? He just states it. Lord, my servant's lying at home. He's paralyzed. He's in great distress. Jesus says, I'll come and cure him because that's what I do. And he says, no, 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 no. And that's where it's a little weird. Because for most people, Jesus said, oh, I'll come and cure him. They'd say, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Come on over. It's this way. It's down past the little. This guy says, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not worthy to have you, you come into my house. But if you just say the word, he's going to be healed. Because, you see, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man in authority and I'm under authority, and you know, I, I say to somebody, go, and he goes, and I say to somebody else, come, and he comes, and I say to my slave, do it, and he does it. So I know that's, that's how it's going to work with you too. And Jesus is stunning. This is amazing. Nowhere in Israel have I seen such faith. This guy, this Roman, this pagan, this centurion, this person who doesn't know the prophecies, doesn't know about the Son of God, doesn't know what Messiah is supposed to be like, this guy gets it. He gets it. Never in Israel have I seen such faith. Now, Matthew hasn't at this point told us that Jesus has gotten a lot of resistance, but he warned us that it would come back in Matthew 3 when John the Baptist was out there. John the Baptist warned the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, you guys better look out. You better be ready because stuff's going to come. And then after this, in Matthew chapter 9, sure enough, the scribes and the Pharisees start to voice their resistance to this Jesus. I mean, who is this guy anyway? Yeah, the miracles are nice and everything, but did you see who he's eating dinner with? I mean, what is he teaching his disciples? They don't even wash their hands anymore. They don't even fast right. Who is this guy? He says that he's teaching with authority. He says things in the law like you've heard it said, but I say to you, which is something that only somebody with authority could say. But the only way to claim authority is if somebody else has given it to you. And none of us have trained this guy up. None of us have laid our hands on him and given him authority. So who is this guy? Who does he think he is? If he doesn't start acting like a rabbi, I'm not going to believe him. If he doesn't start following the law with the same kind of zeal that he just goes about healing people and touching them and things, 
I'm not going to follow him. Until he starts showing us that this is what a rabbi looks like, and he starts fitting into the categories that we all know rabbis are supposed to fit into, then we're, we're not going to follow this guy. Until he starts acting the way we want him to act, why should we put our lot in with him? Until he starts acting the way we want him to act, why should we put our lot in with him? I mean, we all know what a savior is supposed to do. I've got a problem. He's supposed to fix it. That's the way it's supposed to work. So until you solve this problem for me, Jesus, why should I believe that you have any power? Until you show me your love by, let's say, letting me get into this graduate school that I really want to, why, why would I follow you? Until you show me your love by, you know, bringing me that intimate relationship that we've been talking about, until you kind of bring that into my life, why would I bother to trust you with anything else? Until you finally give me some clarity on what I'm supposed to choose as a major, how am I supposed to give you anything else? Until you solve this problem that I have, why should I let you take any more of my life? Imagine if the centurion had come up to Jesus and said something like this. I've watched you. I like your work. I'm impressed with it. I've got this servant at home. We're close. But no, no, no. No, don't, no. Shh, wait. Got this servant at home. He's paralyzed. He's having a problem. But until I bring you to him, let's, let's try a few things. I've got a sliver in my hand. Can you take it out? Thank you. <laughs> this, this guy next to me, he's got a hangnail. Can you do something about that? Nice. Good. So now that we've, we've established some of that, why, why, don't, why don't we walk together to my house, and as we go, why don't you give me your philosophy on the whole miracle thing? How's it working for you? Who you've been reading? Who have you studied under? What's your approach? What's your 10-point plan here, Jesus? What are you really trying to do? And if, if by the time we get to my house, I've, I've kind of assessed you, and I've, I've given you a good hearsay, and I like what I hear, then I'll let you in my house and introduce you to my friend. And if I like the rapport you establish with my friend at that point, then at that, at that point, maybe we'll see how things go. I will step to the side and let you do whatever it is you do. Well, if he'd done that, the story wouldn't be in the Bible. But isn't that what we do so often? I got this, I got this little thing, Jesus. If you could just take care of it, that would be great. But all the other things, I'm just going to hold on to. If you want to figure out the thing in your life that you're not willing to give up to Jesus, answer this question. What do you worry about? See, if you don't worry about money, it's very easy to surrender your money. Here you go, Jesus. Have all my money. I'm not worried about money. Have my money. 
If you're worried about money, you're like, you can have my sex life, you can have my future, you can have my GPA, don't touch my money. <laughs> if you're worried about grades, you say, you can have my money, you can have my sex life, you can have my car, you can have anything you want, just not my GPA, that's my thing. <laughs> what do you worry about? What's the thing that when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's the first thing that comes in your head. Am I going to pass this class? Am I going to get accepted in medical school? Am I ever going to find someone? Am I ever going to get healed from this thing? Are my parents ever going to get their act together? What's the thing you worry about more than anything else? Because that's usually the thing that we like to hold on to. Centurion walks up to Jesus. Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home. He's in terrible distress. And I know that it's very uncomfortable for Jews to come into the home of a Gentile, so I would never want that. I would never offer that. You just say the word. You just say the word because I get how this works. I get it. You are in authority. I am not. You are my commanding officer. I do whatever you say. You have all the authority. You have all the power. I have nothing. You just say the word. You just have it all. I trust you that much. I give it all to you. I give it all. He says, you have all the authority. And this little story here in Matthew 8 is, is kind of a linchpin story, and around it swirls a lot of conversation about authority. At the very end of chapter 4, Jesus comes back from being tempted in the wilderness. And Matthew tells us that he starts to teach in their synagogues. He starts to preach the kingdom of God. He starts to heal everybody that comes, and Matthew gives us a list epileptics, healed them, demoniacs, healed them, paralytics, healed them, various diseases and illnesses are all coming in, healed them, healed them, healed them. And then he goes and he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, the law says this, but God actually means this. It's actually harder to follow Jesus. It's actually harder to follow Torah. It's actually more complicated and more involved, and it's going to demand more of you. So Matthew says he has authority over our bodies and our souls. He has authority over our law and our practice. And then when he comes down off the Sermon on the Mount, there are three miracles in a row for outsiders. Right before this one, he heals a leper. Then he heals the Roman centurion's slave. Then he heals a woman. He's saying his authority isn't limited to some false barriers that we've put up. It goes everywhere. And after that, he goes out he heals a paralytic and he forgives his sins. Then they get into a boat and there's a big storm and he, heal, he calms the wind and the waves. Then they end up on the other side and there the demoniacs come and he cures them and sends the demons into pigs. All of this, Matthew says, are you getting it? He has authority over everything. 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 
Matthew says, remember, remember who he named him at the beginning of this gospel? Remember the name that the angel gave? Remember this? You shall call him Emmanuel because he is God with us. There are people who will say that Christians and Muslims and Jews all basically worship the same God. We basically just worship the same God. You know, we just have different holy books and different practices. Wrong. We do not worship the same God as Muslims. We do not worship the same God as the Jews of today because we worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus just isn't some kind of prophet. He's the Son of God. He's God. We worship a triune God, a God with authority. When Jesus was on earth, he had authority. And it's the centurion who sees it. I get what's happening here. I understand how much power you have. You have authority. Is it any different today? If someone were to watch your faith life, watch how you practice your faith, listen to your prayers, would they think, that's somebody who's worshiping a powerful God? Wow, those are some big prayers going up there. They must actually think their God could do something. They must actually think their God has authority. Do you think it's any different today? And the authority that Jesus practices isn't just authority over the wind and the waves and the demons. It's authority that expands all the way to the cross. Because the authority of Jesus Christ isn't an authority that says, now this is what you need to do with your life and you need to do that and you need to do that and you need to do this and you need to do that. It's not bossy authority. This is authority that goes to the cross and dies so that we can be set free from all the other powers that are trying to have authority over us. Because this isn't a competition between either Jesus will have authority over me or I'll have authority over me. It's a competition between either Jesus will have authority over me or all these other voices will have authority over me. Either Jesus will have authority over me or this idea that I need to have a perfect life will have authority over me. Either Jesus will have authority over me or the idea that I need to have a perfect GPA will have authority over me. Either Jesus will have authority over me or this addiction will have authority over me. Whether it's an addiction to Diet Coke or porn, it will have authority over me. Either Jesus will have authority over me or this idea that I need to please all other people will have authority over me. Jesus died to set you free from all the other voices that are trying to have authority over you, to claim your life for them. Your life isn't neutral space. That's either you hovering about over in authority or Jesus is. Your life is a battleground. There are things that are trying to have authority over your life and Jesus says, I died so that you can be set free from all those things. I died so you can be set free. 
Because when I have authority over you and you give me your life, I give you life back. That's how you test an authority. Is it taking life away or is it giving you your life back? Jesus has the authority to give you your life back. Isn't it time you surrendered it? Isn't it time you said no to all the other voices that are trying to claim authority? Isn't it time you laid your life down for the one who gave his life for you? Isn't it time to say, I surrender? The thing that I most worry about, Jesus, I surrender it. The thing that I'm most trying to hold on to, Jesus, I surrender it. This thing that I've been trying to hang on to tight with two hands, Jesus, I surrender it. Because I know that you love me so much that when I surrender this, you will give me life. Because that's what Jesus' authority looks like. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And when we surrender our lives to him, he sends us out with that same authority. So don't you dare let something else or someone else or some other voice try to take the authority in your life that belongs only to Jesus. Surrender and get your life back. Will you pray with me? Our God, we praise you for our brother, the centurion, who had no reason to know you, no reason to believe, no reason to trust, and yet he did. We thank you for his faith. And we thank you for Jesus' encouraging word, for his reminder to us to surrender, and then we will have the kingdom of heaven. We will be gathered in from the east and the west to eat at your table. God, we pray for courage to surrender and for delight in following you the one who died to set us free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.